Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hanna quality for your most precious gift. Hanna soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey, hey, my little podcats. How you doing? Uh, I am speaking to you from London. Everything's a little bit gloomy. We've had um, been members of a new club. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Tier 4. Tier 4 is the club where uh, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Yeah, and I love to see people. It's very exclusive, except if you live in London, in which case there's millions of us. Stuck here, unable to do the things we want to do for Christmas. But hey, I'm not too petulant. I'm going to keep all stoic and positive and all that stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm speaking to you from Saturday night. Um, we did a kitchen disco last night, a Christmas one. It was really fun and silly, which has been nice to do. Uh, I am again being a bit risky. I'm recording this introduction well. I have got Mickey next to me. He's helping me unload the dishwasher. Is that... Uh, well-advised activity, probably not. Anyway, last week, at the end of last week's episode, I said that this week it was going to be um, the Nervo sisters with me, but um, for really boring reasons, it's not going to be them. They, that conversation will come, and it is a really good one, but it won't come now. Um, so I have happily swapped it for an, a conversation I had really recently with Roisin Murphy. I am... Um, it sounds funny, but when I, I've met Rasheen lots of times over the years, I think she's brilliant, I love her. But I, when I asked her about doing my podcast, I thought she was going to say no. Um, not because she doesn't like me. <laughs> All right, McMox. Um, but because I wasn't sure how much she wanted to talk about motherhood publicly, because I haven't really heard her talk about her kids too much. She has two children, a boy and a girl. Um, 
I think, oh golly. No, no, okay. My blooming brain. I think that they are something like 11 and 9 or 10 and 8. Oh golly. Mickey. Um, anywho, I messaged her and she said yes immediately, which is lovely. It was so nice to see her again. I haven't seen her for ages. And um, yeah, she spoke so warmly. There's so much love there. And she's also so funny. She's such a witty woman. And uh, there's my favourite bit, maybe, of any of the podcast chats um, in a personal way, where I said to her, oh, when you're interviewed, do you get asked a lot about who, you know, who looks after the kids, how you handle the childcare? And she said, no, but then I think I'm a bit scarier than you. <laughs> and it really made me laugh, because actually, I, I do find her a little bit intimidating, but only because she's whip smart, you know, when you get that with women, you just think, oh, you're going to say something if I say something daft. She probably wouldn't. I don't mean in a mean way. I just mean when you know someone's really on it. Anyhow, I'm, I'm wittering on. Um, what's the other thing? Oh, golly, I have to warn you. This is embarrassing. I have to warn you about swearing. I swore. What are the chance? I never swear ever, really, in real life. Well, occasionally, but not so you'd know about it. And um, apparently I said what my kids would call the F word and the show word. I can only apologise. Um, so, yeah, if you've got small ears knocking around, keep them away... Because it turns out this podcaster has a filthy mouth. I swear like a sailor. I didn't even know it. Um, anyway, enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. I normally make myself a cup of tea, don't I? But I'm not going to tonight. It's Saturday night. I've just found out I can't celebrate Christmas time. I'm going to go and have a Negroni. So um, <laughs> I will see you in, uh, in a bit after the chat with Roisin. And uh, yeah, I'm actually really happy to end on this one. It's a happy way to end my 20th podcast episode. See you in a bit. Bye-bye. It's really lovely to see you. I feel like we haven't seen each other for quite a while, actually. Like, no, maybe like uh, not face to face. No, in I'm real life. I'm wondering if you even had had a baby when I last saw you. Actually, I had one baby. You had one. Okay. Yeah, I actually had Claude over here one day. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, when she was really tiny. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so that sort of pins, pins it down a little bit. So it's probably so she's ten now, isn't she? So 10. it's probably about nine years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, you've also had a little boy. As well. I have. Yeah. Ah, uh, and you've also had a really exciting because you brought an album out this year, brand new album. It's been exciting. It's been. You know, and chocolate egg, a toy and a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) How, I think actually you've done something pretty extraordinary with bringing your record because I think most new music has really had quite a tough time of it this year. Mm. But your thing seems to have really actually pushed through and become part of something that people have embraced really warmly. Um, I mean, I heard it on the radio tons and I know it's in a lot of, you said that today it's actually been... It marks as one of the albums of the year? Yes, yeah, no. Namone has it as album of the year on Six Music today, which is lovely. And, um, yeah, it's been good. Uh, I mean, I am missing the live element now. This is really coming to the point where the promotion would naturally start to tail off and you'd start to rev up your touring. Mm. And you would take a, a record, which was, the record is very dear to my heart. You know, I've been working on this record on and off for 10 years. Uh, started it after my album Overpowered with Parrot, who I've known since I was a teenager. And, you know, it would normally go off on another journey. Mm. Um, and you would tell another story with it through the live thing. And it's now that I'm starting to feel that's emptiness, you know. Yes. 
And I wonder as well if you felt like me at the beginning of lockdown, just... Um, I've always, I didn't realise quite how much of me was wrapped in my work, actually, in terms of when it was taken away, just really struggling to feel like I had a space that was my own. Mm. Um, so obviously when you went into lockdown with your, is it just you and your two kids at home? And my partner, yeah. Okay, cool. And so did you feel the same sort of craziness of not having that gap for yourself? I went a little crazy into myself. Uh, I went, I ran into creativity which is what I've always done since I was a kid you know if there's any kind of drama in the family or anything like that I went to the other side of the house which was a big old house no carpets half of it freezing cold no central heating <laughs> but massive so I could go to the other end of it and and just dive in and and I think that's what I did in lockdown and maybe my children think I'm a little mad you know because they they're the ones that are now seeing how obsessed with my work I am because they're seeing me do it. Yeah. Um, hopefully there's an upside to that, that they can see somebody passionately in front of them pursuing their dream and their vision, you know, to the, well, to the very nth degree that, that I possibly can do things, I do them. And um, they're seeing that now mm. every day because it's pretty much the hub, the home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so up until now, so your little boy's eight and your daughter's ten. Up until now, how much of the, your work were they really sort of privy to, do you think? Not not that much. I mean, I did did write a little bit. In the last few years, I've started to write at home a lot more. Uh, I got on Ableton. I oh, can yeah. kind of do a few things there now. And enough to record decent vocals at home. So I would say in the last two years, they've seen me do a lot more of that. Although my partner, Sebastiano, is also in music and that's how I met him so they'd seen me and him playing around with bits and pieces but now they see it they see how it's every day for me and and they see me kind of getting some results maybe and hopefully that's good maybe they are a bit jealous of me work um you know they they're not that interested in my work are yours are no. your children god no they're are they let on they're not anyway no they're very much not interested i would say <laughs> like quite often quite vocally yeah um, no mine will go out of their way to tell me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i get told off especially badly for singing at home, actually. <laughs> yeah it's like i have pointed out it's what i do i know it doesn't really People make much difference <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but no it goes down pretty badly actually yeah. Um, almost every time. In fact, embarrassingly during lockdown, that's how I smashed my phone because I turned to music so quickly, so early on, just to get through the domesticity and the tension, really. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, like you, I was on lockdown with all my favourite people. Mm. But just the monotony of, you know, laundry and feeding folk and keeping the house tidy. I was just singing my way around the house all the time. And one time I was doing particularly what I thought was a very good rendition of uh, Rizzo's song, There Are Worse Things I Could Do from Greece. And as I was getting near the end, my 11-year-old was getting more and more like, can you stop it? Can you stop it? But I was like, I've just got to finish this song. Got to nearly the last note and he went, Mummy, shut up! And I just slammed my phone down and the whole screen shattered. Oh, God. I know, but it was just like, you don't know what this is for me, what space I'm being given just by doing something other than folding t-shirts and yeah. emptying the dishwasher mm. <laughs> so when because I saw a lot of your performances this year from your home and they're 
brilliant and you get all dressed up. Do your ch- kids not normally see you get dressed up like that for work? They see me getting dressed up now. And, and in all fairness, they know there's an awful lot of clothes in the house. There's more clothes in the house than there is of anything else. Well, maybe... <laughs> Maybe LOLs. There's more LOLs now. Oh, than yeah. <laughs> They're quite funny LOLs, aren't they? I don't mind the LOLs. I don't mind them either. I, I like the little shoes. The fact that she's still playing with dolls. I mean, she's t- 10, she'll be 11 in a couple of weeks. Ah. And if I walk past the room and she's in there playing with doll dolls, you know, and it's that, that she makes them talk to each other and they're like, mm, you can just hear her mumbling these little... And, and then singing in there, and the you know, and she's in there for two, three hours sometimes with this dollhouse and the dolls and all the little yokes. And I love it. I just sometimes stand outside the door secretly listening, and I I know this is so fleeting. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you haven't got a TV as well. Does that go as far as like no iPads, no, no devices at all? Not at all. No. Have you managed that? No, I mean, not at all. They oh. do have. Oh, okay, fine. I even know there's nothing. I was like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> that is, that's phenomenal. I wish, but um, no, they, they, we have an iPad. They both have, now they both have two computers from the last lockdown. Their, their uh, schools yeah. gave, made them have to have computers. You know, those really kind of like ancient computers they have that um, are really heavy. But they, yeah, they... They get a fair amount of screen, especially since these lockdowns. Yeah, it's kind honestly. of the way things are, isn't it? Um, and, and going back, what was happening in your life with your music and everything when you had your first baby? When I had my first baby, um, well, I. what was going on with my music? I, I kind of just uh, backed off a bit after I had the first... Because you'd released Claude. your second album, is that right? The second solo album. My second solo album. I'm trying to think back now. Yeah, that was Overpowered. So it was the end of Overpowered and I got pregnant and I went to Ireland for nine months and stayed with my mother. Oh, while you were, like, for the pregnancy? Well, when I I have a little house there, so actually my van stayed with me most of the time. So I had the baby there and then I stayed nine months after she was born and... Uh, she kind of taught me how to be a mammy. Oh, was that quite instinctive then, just to go back? It to really was. It was like an animal going back to her nest, like, and you know, I really needed to be. I mean, I remember saying to me, Matt, my ma's classic anxiety. She does have worries, like. So when I rang her and I said, "I'm coming back to have this baby here," and it was really a late decision in the pregnancy to go back and do it there, and. She was like, oh, but Jesus, I don't want it to bite, can't I? I won't be able to, and it'll be, and, and I said, you know, ma, you were there, like, you were there when I bought the house, mammy, you know, this is the reason I bought it. I mean, this is for this very kind of moment mm. in my life that I have this little place I can hide in, in a Vulcan and in the hills, and, and you can help me get through this. And um, actually, she came to life you know, as a, as my main helper. Um, my partner at the time, Simon, who you probably remember, the mm. artist, he was working during that period with um, Kanye West and Rihanna as creative director. So he was coming, going backwards and forwards to L.A. a lot and we just lost contact. We just lost... He lost connection with us as, as, a, as a family... And he was lost in that world for a while. And and we broke up. And we'd been together for five years. So it was a very mm. hard time, actually. Well, it wasn't. You know, when I say it, it was a hard time, it was kind of quite strangely smooth 
breakup, he was very good about breakup. <laughs> there wasn't any of this, like, ah, you know, drama about it. Mm. But it was hard in the sense of accepting, having come from such a sort of family-orientated background, to accept another kind of model to the one I expected. Yeah. As a, as a family. And when I met Sebastiano, and actually when I had my second child, although I was extremely happy to have Claude, once I felt so completed, um, once I had this unit that was very solid. With Sebastiano. With Sebastiano and Tig, my son. When Tig came, that was the happiest time of my life. And, um, and didn't do much music when I was that happy, to be honest. I was ridiculously happy. I was endorphin happy, going around <laughs> like floating for about two years after I had the, first, the second child. So did that feel quite different after you'd had your daughter then? Well, the, you know, the second one is easier anyway. You know, the first one, there's much more anxiety. You know, what does this do? You know, you're turning it upside down, trying to figure out where the <laughs> manual is and, you know, what, how does it work? And... Having Sebi the second time as well, to having someone there with me in, in the nights when you wake up in the, the baby and was, um, well, comparatively just so much easier to do. Mm. Yes, it does. It must change everything. And I guess, I mean, it sounds like you and Simon had a very sort of peaceful breakup and that you could, you know, you knew it was for the right reasons. But it's, it's always a sad thing because you spend that five years building together an idea of something. And mm. then, as you say, you have to sort of adjust. And so it was that whole time when you were back in Ireland that wasn't with him there, you were with just with He your... was coming and going a little bit, but it was really a protracted sort of just breaking away from each other, to be honest. Previously, I mean, you mentioned when you bought the place in Ireland, you sort of thought it'd be possible that might be somewhere that you go back to when you're having a baby. Is that something that was already in your head, being a mum? Do you think you always thought you'd be a mum? I always thought I'd be. And you from a big family? No, there's only two, oh, me and my okay. brother. But we're from a massive extended family on both sides and we're very involved with all our cousins and so on. And how does it feel when you bring a baby into the world in a very different situation to the one that you're, you had for your own child? I mean, I, I get the impression you had quite a happy childhood from sort of whatever, and I've heard you speak about it before. And is well, that true? It's just this, this kind of like... As I said, it was it was tricky to come to terms with it. But by the time I had come to terms with it, it tur- I turned it around again and I was back where I wanted to be, which was in a, a really loving kind of family unit. Mm. Um, but I, I'm the type of character that had that not happened, I'm sure I would have dealt with it in, a, in my way anyway and, and got on with it. And I'm not sure it would have been so terrible. But it was, there was a dissonance in me about it, obviously, because mm. I've been brought up with people who wouldn't dream of breaking up, even if they were unhappy, you know, <laughs> as yeah. well, back in the day. I know. Um, and there's positives and benefits to that, even when you think about it. I don't know. I spend a lot of time talking to girlfriends about it. I don't think there's ever an age where you should settle for something, really. And there's a, there's a difference between an expectation of happiness that is unrealistic and that's very hard to maintain and actually just being fundamentally not very satisfied or happy with what's going on. We're not built like that anyway, us modern women, are we? That no. we can really, in the end, deal with, you know, 
I think there's things you have to compromise in yeah. relationships. It's the hardest thing in the world. Um, and there is an aspect of it that you hold it together for your kids. But if I thought I was in a relationship that I was just holding together for the children, I, I think I'd be a bit disappointed in myself. Yeah, me too. I've never quite understood that. But, I mean, I say that as a child of divorced parents, and I think if they'd stayed together, I think it would have been horrible, actually. <laughs> well, my mother and father eventually broke up too after years of sort of arguing and not getting along. And I actually told my mother to, to finish it. Yeah. At 15, I turned around to my mother and went, finish it, just finish it. <laughs> wow, you just like, enough and already. she was like... You've got a point. Okay. <laughs> wow. And that was it. And that was when, so this is when you were in Manchester. Yeah. And then your mum and dad, did they both leave Manchester at that point? Yeah, well, my dad went to North Manchester, so he was around. My mother went to Ireland and I stayed in Stockport with my friend's uh, parents, uh, mother actually. His dad was, was gone, unfortunately. But um, they took me in and I stayed there for a little while until I could get my own flat. Wow, I mean, that's so little, isn't it? When you 16, look back, yeah. I got the day I was 16, you know, I moved into the flat, it was genius. And you never lived a day at home again after that, from when you were... That? No. Wow. You were in your own flat at 16? Yeah, yeah. With other people? No. Nope. Wow, that's so amazing. <laughs> I think that wins the trophy of, like, the youngest... Like, the person I spoke to who's moved out of home and gained independence, the youngest. I loved it, though, Sophie. I mean, and I was very lucky at the time to be able to go to the DHSS and get the support that I needed for it mm. and them to believe in me and not sort of think that I wouldn't be capable. And I think there's terrible situation now where you just couldn't do mm. that. Um, at 16 now, 15, I'd be put into like a, I don't know, into a boarding house or a foster care or they wouldn't give me, there's no housing benefit for that age group now. Mm. So, but they gave me this independence and the thing was, it all worked out perfectly. All my friends were in that area. I got the flat very close to where I'd lived with my family. And it was five minutes down the road from my sixth form college. Cool. And, and it was a lovely flat, you know. I had a shared bathroom. Mm. And the, I had to go through a shared hallway from my bedroom, which was in the front of the house, to the back room which had a big semicircular orange sofa in it, which was ace. Which <laughs> <laughs> made me get the flat, basically, that was in it. And then um, it had a kitchen out on the back and then, and then stairs down to the garden from the kitchen. And the garden was this magnificent thing. It sounds incredible. Oh, it was gorgeous. Loved big old Victorian house and... Um, Oh, you, you wouldn't live in that area now for love nor money. It wasn't that posh then, but it was quite posh now. Mm. So I was lucky that it wasn't uh, such a drama. And did you know then that you wanted to perform? Was it was music already something you were doing? No, no I, I really was open to a creative life. I definitely wanted to do art of some kind, artistic. If you'd asked me when I was seven or eight what I wanted to do, I would have precociously said, artist, I want to be an artist. That's cool. Well, what did your parents do? Were you raised by both of them working? Uh, yeah, well, my mum antique dealing here and there, or they'd find... My mother sold paintings at Christie's, the two Dutch master paintings, and then the next day my father could be selling a lorry load of scrap lead. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit like that. We were wheelers and dealers. Um, 
My mum's got an incredibly good eye. She's um, really got great taste and was is a very elegant person and taught me a lot of things just by... You know, we used to have books around the house about antiques and mm. interior design and um, and about paintings and because that's what she was interested in. And they were just there and obviously in them days you didn't have your your screens and that and you just pick things up in the in yeah. the house and I just grew up knowing the difference between a a Victorian house and an Edwardian house and Art Deco, Art Nouveau and you know, um just different styles of things and also with clothes. My mother's family were always all very well dressed and um there was tailors in the in the family and dressmakers and so I sort of brought up around people who knew the names of colours and the names of fabrics and the ways of stitching and, um, you know, knowing what a pattern was and these sort of things that just, you don't have to learn, but they really come in handy. And do you still have a relationship with your mum now where you'll talk to her about what you're up to and the clothes and things like that? It's very just... close to my mother. Ah. Yeah, super close. But she's still in Ireland? She's still in Ireland, yeah. And the one thing is my mother, all throughout my career, has been... Uh, like my advocate, you know, mm-hmm. to the rest of my family. And no matter how weird my music gets or anything, she'll still sit there and listen to it like ten times over and she'll be able to tell you why it's good. And, you know, I remember when I did Ruby Blue, which was my first solo album, mm. and I couldn't wait to play it to my Uncle Jim, who is like one of my heroes and great jazz musician and everything. And I played it to him and he just could not get his head around this thing at all. <laughs> He thought it was actually a disgrace. (laughs) (laughs) And my mother was like, don't mind him. Right in front of him, you know, like, don't mind him. He never had the balls you've got to go out and do it for himself. (laughs) All this game, game, loads of stick about it. And he was never into that kind of wild, he was never into really weird music. I mean, I remember he didn't even like the Beatles at one time. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Jim's like, anyway, he didn't care because he certainly wasn't listening to any of us about music. It was pitch perfect, knew absolutely everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, she always fought my corner, always does, always understands it, always sees what it is I'm trying to do. Um, my dad's very, very, very supportive, but I don't think he gets it like my mother does. Yeah, well, it's amazing how much I do think kids, if they're given that confidence and that support, it's like, it's the joy of, it's the sort of best sort of setup, isn't it, in life, yes. really? Just pour in the love and the support and then see where it heads. Because actually, it probably gave you this sort of secret armour when you were 16. And I was you... already there, obviously, by the time I'd gone to Manchester at 12 and and embraced it. I mean, maybe that was the thing. Maybe it was actually moving from Ireland to Manchester at 12, that was the harder thing. And I s- took that on with gusto, you mm. know. Even though I had things I, I, had to co- I had to deal with, you know. And at that time, the IRA were still doing things and um, the Irish weren't really the best looked upon and I got a fair bit of stick. Uh, but I dealt with it and, um, and I found, through not getting on with everyone... I found the people that I really, really get along with and, in a way, you know, yeah. that you turn to the weirdos, you turn to the ones that are interested in things and that aren't maybe... Kids who aren't so politically 
embroiled in like um, dramas between themselves and everything. I yeah. just removed myself from that in school mm. at a certain point because I always got into drama after drama after drama after drama <laughs> in every school I went to with the kids and with the teachers and with everyone. <laughs> uh, so, but. But once I sort of got to Manchester and then I'd been, I went through that sort of rigmarole again in school and then I found these guys and they were all into music and we started going to gigs and we started dressing differently and we became a kind of little tribe and um, within that small petri dish grew many things and many of us went out and did interesting things. Yeah, well, there's so much to be said for that bit of your life where you do find your your other family, really, isn't it? Yes. Like those friends and and finally feel like yourself and a lot of that rubbish from school, you just can leave it behind and just yeah. shrug it off. It's just... And yes. every once in a while, I don't know if you have this, I'll meet someone and it's, it's once in a blue moon now and I'll think, oh, you're still acting like school days and it's just so nice to be able to not have to yeah. think like that anymore. Mm. It's sort of remind you of like that hierarchy or the bitchiness or... Think, oh, what an exhausting way to live. Yeah. So nice to leave that behind. But I think that's that's out of interests, you know? Mm. I mean, that's what I really hope for my children is that they find things that fascinate them. Yeah. Whether or not it's something that they do even... You know, because I was fascinated in music with no thought to make it, with no thought that that was what I was going to do. But I was absolutely fascinated and obsessed with it and it led me somewhere, you mm. know. But even if it doesn't lead you somewhere, actually, to have that place, that even a hobby, you know, even, yeah. even something that you're just very passionate about, that's outside of, um, that, you know, the grid of, of the expectation that's on you. Yeah. It's, f- it's the best thing in the world. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. That's very true. 
for years and he still does all the wardrobe stuff for me when I'm touring. Brilliant. But he doesn't look like your average wardrobe assistant. He's a real roadie in like <laughs> black shorts, black t-shirt, long hair. <laughs> Holding up turns the bits all, of He turns up with all tonight? these feathers and like hat, three hats on his head and that, running around trying to pick <laughs> up all my bits and bobs off the stage. But he's the best anyway. But he used to come with me and do the sort of technical stuff, setting it up and everything. So we'd always have a laugh. But uh, I went to funny places, you know. I went to, uh, well, beautiful. I went. I brought my mother on a few of these trips to New York and to Moscow and I brought her to Mykonos where I was playing at somebody's wedding Russian people and we were in the most magnificent villa for a week there Wow! the three of us me and my man, the child and Simon actually was there too and she was swimming in the pool one day and she said to me you know Roshin if you'd have said to me in the 60s that I would be swimming in a swimming pool in 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 fabulous uh, place in this place in Greece, you know, and and you told me it was all paid for by a Russian. <laughs> she said, "I would have told you you're completely mad. It couldn't happen. You know, it's impossible." But you know, here we were. Yeah, I think we've had some similar experiences. I've, I've never managed to get a whole week, a week in a villa, maybe a couple of nights here and there. <laughs> but um. When when I'd had my first baby, I found, like, the performing, I found it really weird putting the clothes back on. I felt like it took me a little mm. while to feel like me again. Yeah. It, did you feel like that, or did you find that it was kind of okay? I did feel a little awkward the first couple of times. I think the first thing I did at all was, like, a fashion, um, you know, like when you, uh, what was it called, that for charity fashion walk, everybody would... Oh, like a catwalk show. Yeah, thing. catwalk show for Naomi... Naomi Campbell and I came over and I was like a size 14 and the last time I'd done it I was like you know going around like a slish as my mother would say <laughs> and this time I turned up and was like you know and you feel even when you're dancing and stuff like yeah. and that's where I got this thing where I just tried to kind of hack into that feeling where I was nervous about that so I sort of started saying come and have a dance with your mum don't be shy in it like you just, <laughs> just run headlong into it just, just like Already imagining when Clodagh was, uh, you know, a newborn, that how embarrassing she's going to find me in the future. <laughs> There's a joy in that, honestly. Absolutely embracing. That's for you, mum. So yeah, I started to, to hack into it with a bit of humour. Yeah, and what about your songwriting? Do you kind of feel like you are you sort of quite selfish about it? Like your music is on one side of things, and the kids have got the rest of you, or is it quite a fluid thing? Um, well, I'm there in the house doing it, you know. But, yeah, I have to shove them out the door sometimes and they're like, I'm on the clawing at you, you know. Yeah. You're in the middle of doing something. Get, go on out now, go about your business. They're, no, we want huggles now and stuff like that. So it's just a balance. Sometimes you've got to put it down and go and give them the huggles and then yeah. sometimes you've got to say, well, no, Mama's working. And Do you uh, write about them consciously or do they... You know, cause I've been quite conscious to not involve them literally in the creative, but I never wanted... Like, Richard used to put Sonny's voice on a lot of early feeling albums. And I was like, that's lovely, but he's not... I'm not having my kid <laughs> turn up doing BVs on my album. I did actually record Tig recently, where he kind of did this rap thing called Cool Bear. It sounds so wicked. It sounds great. But getting some producer to do something with it might be another question. 
Uh, but it does sound good. No, I mean, he's very musical, Tig. Let's see. I don't know. We could become some kind of musical family. And family Clodagh unit, some, some, some folk family yeah, in the future. Yeah. Does Clodagh sing too? Is she musical? Like Clodagh that? loves, she's a bit like my mother, she loves music, she really understands it, but I don't think she's got a musical bone in her body. Yeah, well also there's a difference between kids that love listening to music and then the one that actually says like, now look at me while I'm performing. She's more the look at me while I'm performing oh, really? and Tig's the one that's kind of hiding the talent, you know. <laughs> She's so vivacious, she's a <laughs> massive personality. And um, when when you were doing the lockdown things, did you? Because during our year, I've gone from big, I've always been incredibly private about the family, and I still wouldn't take pictures of them, put them. I mean, it's completely like whatever, each to their own. I don't make any. Jo- I love seeing pictures of other people's kids, but I just don't do it with mine on on my social media stuff. But I, we ended up doing these gigs here mm. with the kids here because I felt like the line between. I didn't even feel like I was doing it as a performer. It felt more like this is just what I do to kind of cheer myself up and this is how, as a family, we deal with things. But you just came over, like, the joy. Like I said to you when I first saw it, it was like, you looked happier than you ever looked as a performer. (laughs) I mean, just the joy was beaming out of you and I wondered whether it was because you were able to meld the two sides a bit more because I know how much you love your family I mean you wouldn't mm. have had five kids if you don't love children <laughs> mad and woman tattoo that you family are. onto one of my arms as well <laughs> <laughs> definitely a running theme with me yeah yeah maybe you're right it was just this like relaxed like this is me and and, and for me too in the performances that I did in lockdown where it's just one camera you know, it's just the computer open on the yeah. table. And um, th- that there was an intimacy. There was something, some sort of layers of artifice stripped away in a way, even though 100%. I'm all dressed up and what have you. It's just me and you, mm. in a sense. And me in my environment, albeit dressed up there, my clothes, it's me. I've done my own hair and makeup and everything. And also you're getting kind of with that way of performing just into the computer like that, uh, you get these close-ups of the face that people aren't getting when they come to yeah. a live gig. They're not seeing the, the twinkle in my eye necessarily or exactly. the small micro-performance of the face. So true. And I think also the thing I really loved about all your performances and when you've been talking and telling stories is that you can, your humour comes across your generosity in terms of wanting to give the other person something to respond to in your performance. And also, it's, they're really playful. Mm. I've really enjoyed it. I think I think you really got it so right with just giving something where you think, oh, I want to watch this. It's going to be exciting and interesting and sometimes, you know, make me smile. And it's like you've put a lot of humour in them as well, I think. There's really funny bits and then when you're telling your stories or putting on your voices and things. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I love it. It's really good. And you're right, it's an intimacy that's maybe... Because probably you've been performing with that attitude for years, but you don't always get to see it when it's on a stage. Yes, and exactly. Band yeah. around and the dynamics of all of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean... That's it is just me. I mean, there is is a dissonance for people when you've got an artist who tries on lots of hats and masks and styles and has over have over twenty seven years tried so many different bits and bobs out, you know. And actually, starting out as a non singer, I've gone. For me, it's just a straight line, but for other people, a straight line from not knowing what the hell I'm doing and yet still being on a record mm. to 
trying all these millions of things along the way. And from one image to the next with my career and one sound to the next and one song to the next and one era to the next, sometimes right next to each other, it's hard for people to make the jump. Mm. But I think the more years that go by, that all sort of starts to smooth out a little bit because you're getting more and more intimate and you get to see that, oh, yeah, she's all dressed up and everything else, but she's not pretentious, you know, or it's... um, it's not fake, mm. even though there's artifice, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it's just giving yourself some breadth and time to express something complex. Yeah. And so you're talking, um, before we start recording, we're talking about your new album, which how long, so with this DJ Parrot, how long in the making is that? You said you've started writing it a long time ago. Yeah, after Overpowered we began. Okay, so before you'd even had Cloda? Uh, I think I'd had her. No, maybe just before we Does started. Does that feel quite strange to sort of revisit things from that time? Or, or no, not? because they're fresh as a daisy, you mm. know, thanks to, to Parrot. They're just still totally fresh. So you and don't feel like you're kind of almost revisiting a different version of yourself? It doesn't really work like that? I've been working on a lot of projects simultaneously, um, probably like yourself, you know. Things are different than they used to be. It used mm. to be like album, tour, album, tour, album, tour, and the whole cycle could take two and a half years just for one cycle. It's very easy pace, that, wasn't it? I mm. mean, it just was, you could put your feet yeah. up. Um, but now it's like the possibilities with the technology as well that I can be working with a fella in Germany at the same time as feel on the next record, at the same time as finishing a record with fella in Sheffield, at the same time as trying out another project, even. On top of that, and not really having to leave the house that much, even, mm. <laughs> to do it means that all these things can kind of be on the boil at the same time. But just with this record, I had the second babby. I was in love with the Italian. He was playing me all the Italian music, and actually I just went into making this Italian record instead. And that led me on another path where I ended up working with Eddie Stevens, where I made two albums with him then. And and then I made a, more music with Maurice Fulton last year, which is just as clubby and just as disco as this, but um, it was packaged in a set of four 12 inches, so it's not seen as a sort of album project, but mm. it was meant that much to me as much as any album project. So all those things kind of went in the middle of it all and um, we did a few tracks in between and we already had a handful of backing tracks, like five, six, and they're all at the beginning of this thing and they're all pretty much on the record in some form. So the DNA of it was there, really right from the beginning. Um, and that's, it's not got tired, thank God, no. Hmm, that is interesting though because I don't, I don't think I do work like that at all. I don't really go back and I haven't got lots of things like that I'm kind of a lot more like I can deal with one thing one music project at a time I think but you are doing all sorts of other projects at the same time so maybe that's why yeah but then if I do listen back to things I did a while ago I'm a bit like I mean in a way it could be dangerous what you told me because I might go back and start listening to old old demos and going maybe there is something in this (laughs) but I suppose I've always been a bit like if I haven't used it then there's probably a reason I think it's really amazing you've done an album that's actually spread out like that. I think that's quite I think that's quite unusual. Well, the next one has been 5 years in the making. That's amazing. And because you've 
you had that big gap, but now it feels like, do you feel like there's just like... Yeah, there's been compound interest built, you know. And so as I said to you, it's like, really (laughs) now, it's about, there's so much music kind of in a glut waiting to come out that it's the hardest part is putting space between the releases, the right Mm. kind of space between the releases. You know, how do you make that decision? Okay, Uh, in the old days... It would be, a, you know, you'd leave it a year or two before, yeah. you, you know. But then there's there are examples today where people are just putting out loads of music and it's working. Yeah, it's true. Them. You can be a lot more instinctive like that, can't you? So I don't know, but it's a, a bit like a balance. Yeah, we. I think you probably know instinctive it works for you as well with that balance anyway, because that's the sort of there's always a rhythm in it all, isn't there? And I. I I was reading earlier a quote that you'd said about the complexities of being a woman and I was thinking about how we're both in our 40s and looking at your artwork and your performances. I might be totally wrong with this, but from the outside looking, it looks like you're in such a good place with your confidence, yourself, like feeling really good about what you're doing. Is that is that how you feel on the inside? Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I look in the mirror every day and I say, Jesus Christ, that's a miracle. Like, I don't look after myself. I, you saw what I did today. I ate two bags of bloody sweets for breakfast, you know what I mean? That was your breakfast. I don't. And then I look that. in the mirror and go, Jesus Christ, you still look good. <laughs> you know, a bit. Enough. Anyway, yeah. for me. And, um, and, um, so that's a that's a miracle of itself. So I'm, I, I praise the Lord, even though I don't believe in Him, every morning for that. <laughs> and then I don't know how long that's going to last. Though it could all be very much on a tenuous thread of something or other. I don't know. It could all collapse. <laughs> um, but um, my confidence is good. Yes, mm. it is good at the moment. I have a good support people around me. My manager is my manager is uh, she knows her your brother. Oh. Rihanna, she used to sing oh, okay. with me. And she was Jackson. my yeah, she was my back backing singer, and she was an artist of her own right. She had an album out years ago on Sony under her own name, and then somebody else came along called Rihanna. Yeah, that must have been annoying. <laughs> that was annoying. <laughs> She's but, a singer called Rihanna. Not uh, that Rihanna. <laughs> but um, anyway, she I've taken her on as my manager. She wanted to get out of the you know she tours with all sorts of people. It's backing quite singing. Yeah. Two years. Oh. Two years. Best thing I've ever done. Amazing. Best thing I've ever done. And to have a friend that um, that you respect, that you know, that you really would like to spend time with anyway. Yeah. Um, be around you and your work uh, is just, it's, a, it's kind of a fucking revelation for me. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's one of the beauties as well about having a, a long career is that you get to that bit where you've sort of, you can kind of cherry pick all the people you want to work with because you've met some really amazing people along mm-hmm. the way and loads of talents and people that make you feel like your best version of you and people where you think they're so good at what they do. All I have to do is focus on what I'm doing. I know they've got my back with what they're up to. It's just lovely. And the, yeah. the older I've got and the more experience I've had, the more I've kind of pared it down really to that. Yes. I think working with someone like that as a manager, that's, that again is really, that's really good fortune. I mean, the, the few times I've been looking for management, most people just have a list of who to avoid, really. Mm, yes, yeah. <laughs> well, it's such a sort of... Um, 
they, they make it seem so mysterious what they're doing. You know, when you start out in the business, you sort of think, oh, it has to be a... If somebody's telling me they're a manager, oh, yeah, then they're a manager, you know. Exactly. But even though inside you might be thinking, you might be sat next to them while they're... No, actually, most of my managers have been great, but there's been the one or two where you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't really want them to say that about no. my work. And I do, they're not really representing it or they don't understand it or they're not into the music. They're not into music. I mean, I've had... Somebody worked closely with me. I didn't even think like music at a certain point. So to have... Um, oh, I just respect what she says as well. And I think that's important too, that I have somebody who can tell me off sometimes and um, calm me down that way. Because mm. I get very, very passionate about what I do. I yeah. do get perhaps a bit too much. But that's quite nice sometimes as I well, tr- isn't it? I would push myself into the ground working on my work. Uh, and then expect so much from everyone else once it's delivered because I've killed myself making it. Mm. So, I mean, I made a... Did you know I did a stream, a live stream with the band last week? Yeah. And I directed it. Oh, I didn't realise you directed it as well. And it was... That's amazing. an insane thing to take on, you know. And... Um, I'm like, a ba- I'm like a bag of baldoons, as my mother would say, which means a bag of male cats. <laughs> I feel I'm, like I need to know to be your mother. When she I'm in the amazing. middle of this type of thing, you know, <laughs> dealing with a bag of baldoons. <laughs> <laughs> she's brilliant at it. And, and everything she says to other people about the work, and every email, you know, when I hear a quote or, from her, like she, there's a quote from her in the, in the, the press thing from from that stream and I couldn't have said it better myself you know so that's great and then I have Sebastiano at home who's like my such support to me you know um, mm. tech support mainly because I'm a, a simpleton like that but uh, he's taught me how to use the Ableton he's taught me how to use editing um, film editing stuff he's he did all the graphic design for the show last week, you know, at the last minute when nobody else was available to do it. He did, you know, so he was, he's just very helpful mm. and supportive and believes in me and um, thinks I'm the best, you know, just thinks I'm the best, which I don't know why, but he does, thank God. No, but that's wonderful because all of that kind of gives you all that confidence, and that support. I have a similar thing with Richard. We really got each other's back with what we get up to and I don't I, I need that actually I'm quite needy really I need to hear someone telling me it's it's all going to be alright and I've got the right thing and what a great idea and you know um, I'm always looking for praise like I tidied up the kids room the other day it took me hours and yeah. and I just didn't get quite as much praise as I would have liked just, I spent a long time doing the sort out in fact actually I probably shouldn't tell you this because he doesn't come across very well out of it but my 8 year old Ray he's a lovely boy but he's sort of experimenting with being a bit sweary which I don't like and I try not to react and I think it's because we're not a sweary family so it's a thing he's sort of trying on for size I say it doesn't suit him but when he came <laughs> in and saw his room he came walked in and it was quite radically different I'd taken out some furniture I'd pared back it was really tidy you could see the carpet and he looked at it and he went can I swear <laughs> and I thought he, I don't know why but I thought he was going to do something like this looks fucking awesome and he went this, according to the this room looks shit. Oh, dear. <laughs> and all the work you put yeah, into it. Like, okay, oh. thanks for that, Ray. That's great. <laughs> and can you say the show word instead, please? Um, 
Yeah, um, with with your um, small people, you, they they are having quite a different childhood, and so much about your teenage years and that new independence and all that is obviously such a big deal. Do, does it feel strange to bring them up in a very different way, or do you not really think about it very much? I worry very much about their lack of freedom. And uh, obviously that's encroached upon even further now uh, since the pandemic. But I was brought up, I'd throw the bag there after school and, and just go out again, you know, and run around the town. And There was people at every kind of corner of that town, it was like, that knew me. So, you know, if I was gone lost for a while, my mum only had to ask a few people and then she'd find me, you mm. know. And it was like a whole town, it's the classic cliche, you know, it takes a village to bring up a child type thing. Mm. And I lived in that environment where just total freedom, you know, to hang out with your cousins, hang out with kids here, up that this area, that area, all around. My kids have, like, barely gone to the shop on their own just recently. Mm. It was a big deal to send them to the corner shop. And... Um, I was running around getting stuff from me ma a lot younger. And, yeah, I do worry about that. And the, the screens don't make that easier, do they? No. Because they're so enticed into the, into the screen. They're not inclined to even beg you to go out, you know. They're not inclined to even try and run away or... It's true. <laughs> you know? So how yeah. are we going to get this independence into them that we've had? I don't know. Yeah, and I think also with the screen thing, you know, if you were on your own running around town, at least your mum could have a picture of what that might look like, where you might be, yes. the streets you're on. Whereas if our kids are online, they could it's be anywhere. Total Wild West, yeah, mm. could be anywhere. And I think that fear doesn't really help. And also, I don't understand what they like, you know, what they would genuinely, what they would naturally gravitate towards. I don't understand it. I don't understand why you would want to watch someone talking over a programme, like, instead of watch the programme. Yeah, <laughs> you I know. know. I prefer to see someone going, like, dissecting Stephen's universe in this... Claude would prefer this sort of, like, psychoanalysis of, of <laughs> Stephen's universe than <laughs> Stephen's universe, you know? Yeah. And I walk right over well. here, this thing, like... He was traumatized and, you know, yeah. was just, just all the psychoanalysis uh, theory being thrown around yeah. like willy-nilly and then she comes and starts talking to me about out of her elbow I about know. this stuff. It's kind of saying, you're, you're dramatizing me, Mama. She's getting the traumatizing mixed up <laughs> with dramatizing me. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't corrected her. It's so sweet. <laughs> sweet. <laughs> You're right, that, that psychoanalytical thing they do of watching those, I mean, and then Kit will do that as well, as if it's actual gospel, you know. Apparently uh, this was actually foreshadowing for this one. Oh, yes, The yeah. character of this was actually going to be based on that. And then Somebody talking um, out of two elbows, yeah. you know, and then they go about Marvel things and all yeah. that sort of stuff. What? And then... Also, oh, it's a rabbit I hole. I mean, it's just... The young ones start with the opening the eggs things, don't they? Opening yes. The, opening the presents. That's weird. The toys. And there's a woman that does those sometimes and she's got like a voice like this where I think she probably does other videos <laughs> And she'll that she'll play with like different coloured sort of goo, slime that oh, falls yes. on different toys and then get the toy out of the goo. And it's all it's a bit... It's unbelievable, a bit isn't sort it? sort of fetishistic sort of 
Well, or, sensory a lot yes. of what they like is sensory, isn't <laughs> yes. it? They're given a lot of sensory, easy sensory things, aren't they? Like slime and mm. squishies. The squishies, like in the last yeah. five years. Yeah. There must be like a floating island of uh, discarded squishies somewhere in the Atlantic. Oh, or there's the loads. Yeah, there'd be Pacific. loads of crap. Some, I mean, have you, are you familiar with a guy called Ryan? Have either of you watched Ryan, who does Ryan's World? No. So Ryan is someone that I only know through, actually through five-year-old Jesse. He's quite into Ryan. Ryan does these videos. They're mainly like sort of mass consumerism, like this kid getting very excited about opening toys or mm-hmm. walking through a toy shop and things like this. But this little boy, he's now, I think he's about nine. And he, last year, he grossed something like $22 million. Jesus, like, <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> These videos, it's him and his mum and dad. And they do like, come on, Ryan. And then they go into like a soft play or get him to make something or open a present. And then these videos have just been churned out and he now has a load of merch um, I mean, I always joke, it's it's Ryan's world, we just live in it. Like, it's, it's Ryan's world, kid, is, you know. <laughs> we talk about who might play Ryan, you know, adult Ryan in the film of his the biopic, oh, wow. you know, because it's like... He sounds all right. He's, he's fine. He's pre- pretty inspiring. <laughs> he's really inspiring. <laughs> oh, my God, this is so inspiring. Yeah, it's just a funny old world. It's like a whole... There's her with the bows as well, isn't there, Jojo? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jojo, yeah. A gazillion expensive bows yeah. sold there. Yeah, um, it's yeah. crazy. And, and what ha- else did they watch? It's computer games being played and talked about yeah. over. The, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and as I was saying to you, we don't have a TV, but we're really considering getting one because we're not sitting around watching things together mm. unless we force them to do it with us on a computer screen. So I think. Yeah. It might be time for us to get a TV. Yeah, and then you can watch movies as well. Share it it's more nice. together. I mean, we do on the computer, but it's not the same as having like a room with a TV that you all go in and... Yeah, I mean, I love it. And I love like introducing them to yeah films I've loved and watching old TV shows. But I think as well for me, TV is probably something I use as a bit of a an easy way to have a regular bit of a time with one kid or another. So... Like during the beginning of the year, every evening, Kit, who's the eleven-year-old, and I would watch an episode of Modern Family. And it was just a thing we would do mm. just before his bedtime. And that it was just a nice thing, like just giggling at that together. Yeah. So that was quite nice. And obviously, the fact that telly can also be quite useful. Yeah, and my mum said, you know, the unpaid babysitter. <laughs> they call it. Yeah. yeah, but um, what else was I going to say about it? They just, you know, you fear for them. You fear about them going in and never coming back out again, type thing. Do you feel like they're a bit more innocent then than you were maybe if they're not kind of going out and about? And yeah, 100%. Because you mentioned seeing Clodagh playing with her dolls and feeling like, oh, that's nice that she's still doing that. Do you think you were still playing oh, with But I was playing oh. with dolls, yeah, because I loved them and I, I loved my dolls' houses that I made myself, cardboard boxes, streets of them, you know. And <laughs> So I was a very imaginative play. She's very into imaginative play and me too, I was like that. I could go in for hours on end, um, and I loved I loved me Barbies. Honestly, I really yeah. did. I loved Bobby and Cindy actually. Cindy was big. The first one I dra- I was dreaming about getting a Cindy before yeah. I got it. I mean, for months. Yeah, well, she was lovely. She looked so good as well. I liked her like dark brown hair and her massive blue eyes. She was really cute looking. I mean, a little bit odd looking, not as sort of 
typical as Barbie, but I mm. liked her big head and all that. Um, actually, I know one thing I did want to ask you about, because this is something I get a lot. When, I, when you're working, do you find you get asked a lot of questions about childcare and things like this? Because I've... Not so much, no, I mean... Do you think that's because... I'm a bit scarier than you, though, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they don't. <laughs> Um, well, that's funny you said because I actually, when I asked you to, to talk to me, I, did, I actually thought you probably wouldn't want to. I um, wasn't sure you would want to talk about. Well, I suppose because I, I didn't know how how much you spoke about the fact you're a mum alongside what you do. Um, I, I feel don't like you've very sort of separated often. I, I don't. I have, don't deliberately not. You know, but um, yeah. children. What children? Just, they just don't like. They don't. Music journalists don't ask me. They don't. I don't get that classic. You know, how do you manage motherhood? And this very often, but I do think it's kind of a fair enough question. Yes, I think it is a fair enough question in that, especially because if someone is raising a family, it is something that makes you think, I wonder what goes on to make that possible. Yeah. I find the childcare thing specifically a bit boring because if you've only got 15 minutes to interview someone, mm. like everybody does the same thing with childcare, don't they? They find someone they trust and mm-hmm. whatever means you have available, whether it be a family member, a friend, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you do, you've got options and then you choose the one that works best for you. And yeah, that's I think I there's like. a real skill to finding the right nanny. I mean, we had a couple of nannies, one after another, and they were grand, they were lovely people, but they weren't committed to it. And I think, first and foremost, you want somebody who wants to stay with you for a good long time. Yeah, well, the nanny thing is really hard because you're basically inviting that person into your family. And if I... The nannies we've had here, I, I need to know... I like to be able to involve them in conversation and decision-making as well. Mm. I don't want someone where they just turn up and look after my kids and yeah. uh, take over again. Mm. I, I want to say to them, oh, I'm having a bit of a problem with this or mm. so-and-so is really struggling with this aspect or, oh, they've fallen out with that friend again and we can sort of mm-hmm. put our heads together, really. Exactly, yeah. I like that. We've had our lovely Carolina with us for six years now and um, she came to us that she the reason why we took her on was because realized that she must be committed in that the, the she'd just done five years with a autistic severely autistic boy and the only thing that made her leave there was the fact that he threw her downstairs because she got really oh, you know wow. when they sometimes they get really really strong mm. and aggressive so um, we knew Jesus if she stuck that through and loved the boy and felt terrible about leaving, had to, had to. Mm. Uh, she, the woman had to take on a man to take care of the the boy. Had gotten really, really big. He was only eleven or twelve, but he was like six foot something. Mm. And um, she came to us, and she's she's brilliant. You know, she's like. I said to the kids last night, you know, she's the most she's the most important person that makes the whole thing go around. Yeah. Well, also, I suppose you know, you've got the right person, particularly if you have a slightly elaborate day job like us, where that's really never really what the conversation is about. Mm. So that you're not so the focus is all on the kids and mm-hmm. the home life, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be thinking, "Oh, tell me again where you're off to and what's happening for work." Oh God, no, you wouldn't want any of that. <laughs> but she's she's quite sort of um, old fashioned and sort of restrained personality mm. but oh gosh she does an awful love them kids and I, mean, I don't think there's could be any harm in having more people around my kids who love them yeah no I agree with that definitely that's, that's a, a, a perfect way to, to raise kids I think I always say that to them now you know if, if, they're, if they're safe and loved that's like those are the pillars yeah everything else is kind of like comes bit, in yeah 
exactly. and conf- then the confidence, as you said, is such an important thing to give kids. It is, yeah. And I definitely got that off my parents. I mean, not that I could do no wrong at all. I mean, the opposite, actually. If I got in trouble with somebody, it was immediately my mother would say, probably all Roisin's fault, you know. So it was never, I was, she was never the type to you go. You mentioned this getting into it's trouble all, a little bit. It's all their fault. Some mothers are a bit like that, isn't it? Oh, well, she got in with the wrong crowd and, you know, oh, and yeah, it's yeah. not her fault. It was the one that she was hanging around with. But my ma was always, no, no, it's probably Roisin's fault. <laughs> So you mentioned getting into drama at school. Are either of your kids displaying the same sort of traits? Yeah, I mean, Claude is going to... Do you think she'll be off out the door at 16 as well? I kind of hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Rasheen, thanks so much for talking to me. Oh, no, don't leave it like that. <laughs> no, but I, honestly, I've already planned what to do with Sonny's bedroom. I'm going to ship him off to my mum's in a couple of years. Oh, I need the room yeah, back. I mean, what about, did, did anybody ever think of these boarding schools as well, you know? But boarding no, schools. It's, not, it's the old school, isn't it? People don't send kids to boarding school I don't know, anymore. I think it's come back into vogue. I Has feel, it? Yeah, I feel like I've heard of a few people doing boarding school again. Jesus, my lot. My, if I said it to mine, they would just never forgive me if I sent them away to yeah. boarding school. They couldn't. Well, look, you know, each to their own. I know kids that have really thrived, but I think it's just been ingrained in me that it's just not something that's even on the table as an option. To... It's definitely not on the table for my two. I've already mentioned it to Claude. She's not having it. No. Nah. I think sometimes kids actually seek it out, but with my they lot... Do, yes. Yeah, I feel like, particularly with the teenage bit... I mean, you're just on about to sort of enter into that bit. But with with Sonny, I felt like you have to make a real concerted effort to make sure you see him because teenagers, they just because they don't need you to help, you know, do mm. their laces or, you know, keep an eye on all the sort of, you know, yeah. everyday stuff, it's really easy for them just to kind of go up to their room and you Passing just never ships. see him. Yeah, you never see him. Absolutely. And actually, they don't know that they need you, but they need you more than ever, actually. The guy that I just edited the video with, the live performance with, um, has four boys are all sort of teenage, in teenage years. Mm. And he's like in, he's bereft. What, that they're growing up? Yeah, there's just, and also, you know, you can't have a big bloke in the bed beside you, can you? (laughs) Cuddling him and stuff. No. (laughs) And, you know, or sitting on your knee or... No. You know, that sort of like... Bit. So I really am trying so hard to hold on to every moment like that, to every moment where it's it true, can it be just slip. snuggle time and where it can be, where she can be playing with dolls and and he can be making paper airplanes for hours on end. Yeah, you know? uh, I'm really trying to keep my eyes peeled and to to feel it and to see it and to observe it because I know it's going to be quite fleeting. I know, it is, but then don't you feel like you're always kind of rooting for them a bit as well with the next bits that come along? Like, for me, every age they get to, I'm like, oh, this is a good good bit. Well, that's good that you can say that. Yeah, I mean, I, not I love everyone hanging out with Sunny. Not everyone can. Some people go through terrible trouble with teenagers. Oh, I wouldn't say it's easy. I think it's really complicated. I think it's really complicated, and sometimes I'm like, oh, my God. God, I've got to do this five times. Like, that is going to be challenging. But when I'm just hanging out with him, it's the best. I love I love his company. And I do feel like if I can raise five kids that are all as lovely as he is in terms of where he's, mm. his actual, who he is, I'll be thrilled. But yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. I mean, there's some I can already tell. Actually, I was talking about this last night with Kit. 
sort of predicting a little bit of what troubles lay and we're both of us were pretty sure that poor Jesse was like the time like fast asleep five years old snuggle looking for a picture of innocence we're sure he's going to shimmy out down the drain pipe and run the off to parties the thing is you just can't even though you're like right next to your kids all the time mm. it's you can really only grasp them in the moment and, and you can imagine what they're try and imagine what they're going to be but I can't I can't visualise it I can't see in the future and I sort of don't want to I don't want definitely don't want to do that thing you know where you uh, project oh yeah no that's really dangerous um, but you know I just I can't I can't tell but then again when they turn into the next phase or when they show it to you it all makes perfect sense like you knew it all along you exactly know? so it's kind of the two feelings at the same time of absolutely not knowing anything and knowing deep in your heart what they are yeah i think that's very true and i also think it's it's okay to kind of have for me i don't mind being like oh they'll probably do this that, because I, I feel like it's very like it's very playful and the reality of it is that I think parenting for me is a so much more reactive than I ever, ever imagined. And I I really am just here just to help give them... I always picture myself like a pinball. I'm like the sort of soft bumpers, really, just trying to keep the ball kind of moving so that they don't go through that middle bit, really. Five balls as well. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, five. that's some pinball playing. <laughs> pinball wizard. <laughs> Mine's more like that sort of like, you know, that tennis... That old tennis video game. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> that is so much smarter, though. I mean, honestly, what have I done? When I when I was having my fifth son, he was already fourteen, and like was, I went into that with my eyes wide open of like, okay, I've got the baby bit, and then I could see all the stages a lot more. Yeah. Like when I had Sunny, just one. I felt like he was a baby for ages. Mm, I felt mm. like it went on and on and on. And then, and on. And then it sp- speeds up. <laughs> yeah, it speeds up. Amazing. No, I'm just like, it's like blinking, you miss it. I mean, it is, it is important to kind of take in those moments. I mean, that's what I try and do when when it's all kicking off or one of them's like, you know, I can't find my shoes or helping them with something. And I think there's going to be a time when they're not needing me to do that job. They're not going to need me to help them find things or do their buttons. or. And then you'll be dick. sorry. <laughs> oh, well, oh, well. But hopefully not someone who's going to be too kind of clinging on to it either. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's kind of what the work's for. That's what that space is for, I think, to kind of give yeah. me my own thing too. Hopefully that, that, that them seeing us get on with stuff is a positive thing. You it know? can only be, surely. Surely. I mean, it's maybe inspiration to them in some way, you know, that they might think, okay, doing things is fun, you know, mama. Yeah. And obviously that question has always been, how do you manage this and that? But how do you? How would you manage without another part of yourself? Absolutely. It's also a question. Also, <laughs> when just you were... being, how would you manage just being a mother? I don't know if I could only be that I, I No, I would not be very good at that. And also I think because of your, the path you've had in terms of it sort of, you, you know, it's not like you were like 16, 17, like, right, I'm going to do this. And it's, it's been much more like it's evolved and you knew how, where your passions were, but you've been able to meet people and have different things at different times in your life that had significance. And that's a really amazing example to give them that they're so long as there's a little bit of momentum, something happening, good people around them. Mm-hmm. Consistency we need to give them as parents. I mean, it's just the oldest rule in the book, isn't it? Consistency, mm. consistency. It's the hardest thing to achieve, mm. 
consistently. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's something that I have to try and bear in mind. I'm not that consistent a person anyway myself. Only really with my work have I been that consistent. Well, that's a big part of you, though. Yeah, but I have to try and put that into my home life. I have to try and make sure that when we say things, we mean it. Um, and that if we said there's going to be consequences, there will be, even if it's hard for oh, us yeah. to put them into... You know, even if it's hard for us to say, you're not having a screen today. Yeah. Um, and then stick to it. You have to stick to it. You do. And that is hard, because sometimes you'll say something and go, actually, that's really annoying, because now I've... I have to... Got, you know, <laughs> or the other night, like, they were really naughty going to bed, and I said... Right, that's it, I'm not tucking you in tonight. And they were, you know, losing it. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? You're not tucking us in? I was like, it's just a tuck in. No. And I had to come out of the bed because we were standing in the hallway and I just looked at them and I said, it's as hard for me to not tuck you in as it is for you. I love tucking you in, just to be clear. I even said that phrase to them, just to be clear. <laughs> I love tucking you in, but I said if you kept doing that, I wouldn't do that whole tucking thing which takes half an hour because we've got to tuck you in this way and pat you that way and stick it under your legs and three hugs and five kisses on your nose and all that before you get out of the room. You know, I love it. It's my favourite bit of the day, you know, I said to them, but mm. I said to you, that's not happening if you keep going and that's not happening. Yeah. I've done some of those, but I'm not very good at st sticking to it. Did you stick to it? I did that night, yeah. Well done. That takes a lot of strength. <laughs> We're just like, what are you doing to us? <laughs> I'm dramatised! Oh, so that was my lovely conversation with Rasheen and what a lovely way to end the end of series two. Thank you so, so much for indulging me with the podcast and for all the amazing positive feedback. Honestly, I, um, it really means a lot to me, genuinely. And um, I'm excited for series three. Um, it's funny, I was thinking, you know, we're near the end of the year, so I was thinking about all the bits of the year that haven't been uh, really sucky. And there's been a few highlights and I think there's maybe three things I could think of. And this is one of the three. So thank you so much. I mean, I'm talking professionally here, but the podcast and um, the kitchen discos and I think um, releasing a new album. I've, I've just been a very lucky person because there's been so many people that haven't been able to get on with doing new things and new enterprises. And really, I'm under no illusion. It isn't because of me. It's because of you. If you're not there to listen... This is just a mad woman waffling away into her phone on a dark, wintry Saturday night. Um, so thank you so much. And thank you also, of course, to all the amazing contributors. So all the women I've been able to speak to this series. What an incredible um, array and what amazing company I've kept. Mommy, and hold on a second. Where's your iPad? Where's your phone? All right, I'm using my phone. I'll be there in a second. Yeah, sure, why not? All right, plug the... Uh, there's a charger there. <laughs> Please tell me this is going on in your house too. Yes, I'll allow a bit of screen time. 
so sue me. Uh, what was the other thing I was going to say to you? I want to thank Claire Jones, my producer, for keeping me on the straight and narrow and pointing out my swearing in this episode. Sorry, Claire. I want to thank Chris Salmon for helping me do all the promoting and stuff on socials and whose idea it was for me to start having a podcast anyway. He said you think he thought it would be a good thing for me to do, and so thank you. Hold on, boys. Um, and finally, I want to thank um, a really big actually, extra special thanks to uh, my husband, Richard, because he honestly uh, didn't really envisage spending so much time editing my podcast or editing any of my stuff, to be honest, this year. And he's done it brilliantly and uncomplainingly and incredibly supportively. Um, and actually, he listens to them, you know, the whole thing, independently or so. I listen to each conversation and he's really been enjoying them. But mainly... Um, you know, I quite often am very, very late with doing all these bits and bobs like the intros and the outros and things because I like it to be up to the, you know, being present day. But he's never once said to me, oh, can you just give me a bit of extra time because I kind of don't want to be spending a couple of hours in the studio on a Sunday. So thank you to him. And, um, well, I've always got, obviously got to thank you. You know I love you. You know I love you all for listening. Thank you very much for being there. And look, I will see you in 2021. It's got to get better. We've got through a very challenging year and you've dealt with it very well and we're keeping positive around here. Um, And I wish you a very happy Christmas and I'll see you in 2021 with yet more inspiring women to talk to. And if there's anyone you think I should be talking to, please, please, please leave it in the comments. And in the meantime, Ray, have you got any kind of last minute uh, messages for all the people who listen to my podcast? Merry Christmas. (laughs) That's very, very festive and timely and seasonal. There you go. He said it better than me. Merry Christmas. Jesse, do you want to say Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, and a happy new year. See you soon. Bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.